excited to have Dr. Johnson Sykes um, on this podcast tonight. Johnny, I've known you for a long time, right? That's true. A long, yeah. long time. Long, long time. You have had a fascinating and amazing career. You know, you've been in academics, you've been out of academics, um, you decided at the ripe age of whatever, I'm not going to say your age, but <clears throat> to go out and take on it's Beverly Hills. But I'm so one of the things I like about these podcasts are that I get a chance to reconnect with friends, but the younger gen, the next generation is so thirsty for, you know, how you did what you did or, you know, how Patrick Byrne did what he did. Um, I'm looking forward to just kind of catching up with you because you and I, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we have, uh, we've connected over the years, uh, you know, off and on, we've had periods of time where we'd see each other and spend, you know, you know, sometimes in meetings, you, you know, you talk to certain people and you and I have uh, in the hallways had shared a lot of our time secrets and successes, struggles and that sort of thing. But um, it's fun for me to just be able to reconnect. And, and I think the next generation needs to hear some of the history of our academy, you know, our, our some of the struggles we've all had over the you know from time to time so where did you know i i, I know you you were you started out at the university right i did i uh i started my career after i finished residency and fellowship i i actually owed the military three years and i, I spent three that. years as a an air force major in and the, and they gave me some choices of where to go and i thought about where it was and they the air force didn't have a lot of places for specialists and so one of them was Sacramento and I I uh and this is what I would tell people you know just keep your eyes open and your 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 ears open and you know the the uh and I went to this place it was a small three operating room hospital and I worked my butt off um and was really busy during that time and I developed this relationship with the university I didn't really know anything about Sacramento at all, and I'm still not sure why I'm here 37 years later. But the the um, and and through that, the university tended to like me, and and I liked them. I like what they were about, and uh, the the they started to send their fellows with me. They came back with good responses. I liked teaching, and uh, and then at the end of the time, I I was looking at going elsewhere and. And the chairman sat me down and said, we want you to stay here. And that's how that happened. That was in 1989. And and I was at the university for from 89 to full-time until 2016, 27 years later. And uh, the, the but I, I didn't go out there with that plan. And I didn't even go out there with a plan of going into academics. I didn't really know what. I didn't know that. I was open. Yeah, I was open to doing anything. And, uh, and, and that's. That's how that worked out for me. But it, it, uh, I, I, people often have, um, one of the things that's beautiful about medicine, I think, is it's, we have so many opportunities. And I've had, I can tell you, I've had just a great career in medicine. I'm at the age where a lot of people retire and I just signed a 12 year lease, which would make me a pretty old guy when I finished. But I, I don't really see doing anything else for the next 10 years anyway. And, uh, and because I've liked it. I'm fascinated. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you and I are at that age, we start thinking about these things, right? Right, right. But yeah. I, I, 
I don't really like, like I like taking vacations and things, but I don't really see myself sitting on a boat or, you know, just, uh, and I used to like to play golf. I don't play much anymore. I stopped playing golf the year I was president of the academy and I never went back to doing it, but cause I just didn't have the time, but, but I don't, even though I love playing golf, I, I couldn't see playing golf five days a week. You know, I, just, I shouldn't either. And, either. yeah, so it, it's, it, it's, uh, you know, one of the things about medicine is it gives you a lot of different opportunities and I've been able to parlay them into almost some different careers for myself and, uh, a, a sort of a teaching career, uh, you know, a, a, an academic career, a private practice career, and I've had all those things in a really good way. And I'm I'm actually not sure what the next chapter is for me. Uh, the, the, you know, I don't, I'm just keeping I'm keeping my my head up and my you know trying to do a good job and take care of patients and you know which is a fun thing to do every day. I mean, patients drive you crazy, but but it's it's also a wonderful thing when you, when they say, come in and say you changed their life or they remember you from 30 years ago and i get that a lot of times now somebody you know i'm 41 years old and you did my cleft surgery when i was eight <laughs> i get a lot of that and it, it just, i just had you know, uh, i was at slaughter who's my you know who's my partner i went to his son's basketball game and a woman came up to the bleachers and she's like dr williams dr williams you know, was that you? Could you come come down? And, and so I come down and it's her daughter who I resected a hemangioma on, you know, when she was whatever, one or two, and she's like 23 now. And so those kind of moments make it worthwhile, right? And that's why even, you know, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. For, for me, they do. I mean, everybody's got their own points of what turned them on. And, you know, we're a special breed, people that have gone into medicine and particularly surgery, we're sort of a special breed. We, most of us don't do what we're doing for money. We make good money doing it, but we don't do it for that. The money's just come. And I, I always think, I never think about that in my day-to-day -day world. And I think about doing the best job I can. I'm lucky enough to be in a career that, that, is remunerative and, and it, it pays us pretty well for what we do. But I've never been one of these people that wants to overcharge for what I do. I, I, um, the, that kind of stuff doesn't actually turn me on that much. It doesn't, you know, um, the, I like being able to do my craft and it really is an important thing to me. I may be too important, but it's, it's very, um, it probably has one thing that's good about you, Ed, is you, being able to balance that with having a great personal life and family life, it probably has affected mine a little bit because I've been so intense on on doing whatever I can with that. And it probably has, you know, I didn't see myself being this age in my life and not having kids, for instance. You know, I love kids. And it just it's the way it happened. And, you know, you, I believe that life is, you, you don't exactly plan it. You, you, uh, you, you just you pay attention and you do your best job and you treat people well. And, uh, my, my, as you know, my father passed away last year and he taught me a yeah. lot of the reason yeah. I like you so much, Ed, more than most people is you're a philosophical <laughs> guy. You've got good philosophy about the way you look at things. And I'm, I feel like my dad taught me philosophy. He taught yeah. me about, you know, treating people right. That's, 
that's a more important thing than because I saw it in him at the end of his life. Money didn't matter when when you're 85 years old and he died. He was almost 100. He was 99 and a half. When you that that really doesn't matter to you. All these things that we thought mattered, you know, this Louis Vuitton, this or whatever, they never really give it. You know, it doesn't matter how many watches you have at the end of your life. <laughs> it's, no, it's, uh, you know, I've never focused on the materialistic stuff yeah, in my life. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I think uh, you made a good point that, you know, so many people they go into careers. I mean, we, you know, we can make a very, very nice living for 35 plus 40 years. How many people can do that? And if you go into it for the right reasons, you really don't have to chase the financial piece of things. Um, I don't, we're going to get into this a little bit and I'm going to talk to you about, you know, social media and keeping up with people and whatever, but um, I don't think that's made, I think it's made our, our specialty. I think it's made it harder for our, uh, our colleagues to feel, I mean, you and I can focus on our moral compass a little easier because that's the way we were trained to do. But when you grow up seeing that your mentor has been so successful because of what they've done on social media versus just taking good care of people, you know, I think there's a potential for that to um, maybe you chase the wrong things, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I know you've had a very long, you know, one thing I always admired with you about you is that you were, um, you know, you were a consummate teacher. You have always, always loved to teach. Um, almost to a fault. I got to pull you off the podium now and then, you know, when you get winded, but no, but I mean, I, I think so genuine and, um, and you're really, really, really good at it. Um, when you were at the university, you know, I mean, <clears throat> how many fellow you've had fellow, how many fellows now? I think 33. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. It, it's probably yeah. eight or nine more than yeah. maybe seven more yeah. than I've had o o over the years. Um, you know, and still, and still, you still have a fellow, right? I do. Yeah. yeah. Which has been a little more difficult for me to do in I, private practice, but it's, it's good, sure. you know? I'm sure. Yeah. So, you know, when you were at the university, you had a, I remember, gosh, we were at um, Snowmass one year and you said to me, hey, do you know my chat me? chat with me a little bit. I'm trying to figure out my situation. You, and you kind of ran your numbers by me. And I'm like, Johnny, you're out of your mind to leave the university. Right. You remember that? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I, I remember it well. When we had, right. um, when we had carousels, you know, to right. <laughs> I just have thrown out about 10 carousels. It's, you know. Of old slides. Um, just, well, but, you know, uh, I, I, I want to, I want to make one thing, you know, you talked about teaching and, um, yeah. Somebody the other day, I, I forget where I was. I think I was lecturing at Vanderbilt or something to oculoplastics. And they said, you know, to me, why do you like to teach so much? And uh, the, the uh, and I'll tell you, I, I, it made me think about it because I, I try and I, I try and not just blanketly answer these questions, but really think about what, what makes sense to me. Why, why do. So here's what it is for me. When um, it really is about what you're doing to who you're doing it to. And let me, so if we operate on patience and we do a good job and we have what we would consider, you know, 98 or 99% really good results, about 93% of them like the results a lot. And about 5% of them 
don't like it very much. And about one or two percent of them threaten our lives. You know, I don't mean they physically threaten. Oh, our lives, we've been. They, we've all been. They threaten. They, they threaten our existence. They threaten our existence. They might. You know, so you get one patient out of a hundred that. So and really, what that comes down to is what their motivation is for what you're doing to them or you're doing with them, right? Mm-hmm. But if you do a good job teaching, if you get a bunch of people that are interested in facial plastic surgery or in injections or anatomy, and you do a good job teaching, your happiness rate on the other end is 100%. It's, a it's not 95% or 96% or 97%. It's 100%. And the, 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 they all like what you do. They may not perfectly like your lecture or agree with everything you say, but they, they like it and they appreciate the effort. If somebody, if they don't like their outcome or they're unhappy with their life, they don't appreciate your effort at all as a patient, right? They, yeah. they, they get yeah. mad at you. And that gets a little tiresome doing that 100% of the time. And so the, for me, it was, it's self-serving to teach. I realize I'm reasonably good at it. I'm not the best at it. But I'm reasonably good at it, and uh, the the I try and when I give lectures, think about every lecture and make them all different. I never take a thing of a carousel out and just put that on there. Don't look at it. I change every one of my lectures. Um, sometimes I change them dramatically. Uh, I think about what I'm going to say each time, and to me, that's an exercise that just makes me a little better at what I'm doing. But also. So it's it easy to make yourself be better because the people that you're doing it to are really motivated. They're mo- we have motivated people that are listening to us. So that's that's my answer for that. Yeah. So no, no question. I, I you know <clears throat> you brought on a we all do. I, I have less grief in my life than I've ever had because I'm so much better at managing expectations. And I think that uh, you know those of us that lose hair and get gray hair get better at that. And I think that's a real struggle early on. And, you know, I had someone say to me once, you know, one of the applicants I was talking to, he said, Oh, Dr. So-and-so told me, you know, don't be in such a big hurry to grow your cosmetic practice. And I tell that to my fellows, you know, go, go slowly. Talk to us about, I mean, you had a difficult time around 2005. Do you remember that? I mean, you had very well, Clearly, the internet was, was, was starting. And I, I mean, Tell that story because I think it's, yeah, that was a that was a very difficult time. It it was a really difficult time for me. And as much as I like medicine and I love surgery, I'm a I feel like I have a real gift in surgery. I mean, I know that's boastful, but I I really I feel like I'm at the top of my game now as an older guy. And the I was actually in 2005 thinking I was looking at other careers. That's how bad it was for me. And it was basically one patient, but there were a few others that I just didn't, I didn't know how to deal with them. And I, I learned the skill and I'll, I'll sort of tell you. So I had one patient that, um, that sort of brought me down and had like a website and which, which happens a lot now. It's a, that's a, and people call me about this. And, uh, the, the, uh, and, and I didn't really, I didn't have a good skill set for what to do for those patients. I, I didn't, we were all, we were all Right. I mean, we were learning when someone decides to take you down and, and, and do a pay-per-click ad to come up higher than you and bash you, that can be devastating for your career. 
Absolutely. And it was. I mean, it probably cut my cosmetic. I mean, I was at a university. I didn't have any marketing things. I was, it was all word of mouth. And it cut my cosmetic practice in half. I remember like you in saying one day. Yeah. What? And so, so, but, but anyway, what my, my, my dean told me to take a communications course. And I took this communications course on the East Coast. Actually, it was in New Haven. Uh, it was associated with a big pharma thing that they would have people. And I took a communications course with two other doctors. We were three students for a week together with about six faculty. We, we ate meals together. We did, the, you know, the kumbaya thing and everything. And it really taught me to think about what I was doing in the room when I felt impotent with patients that were, didn't like what I did to them. You know, they, they, I was looking at them and they had a good result and they were complaining. And now I have a whole different skill set that I try to teach to people if they want to listen to me. But it, it is, and now it's gotten worse because people's expectations have risen because okay. of the things they see on the internet. And it's, it's, it's worse for all of us. But if you get the skill set to do that, it's just part of our daily thing. It's part of, it's the cost of doing business. You know, and there's, there's, uh, you know, now I feel like I have the skill set to deal with those people. Do I still get people, you know, one out of 100 people that's angry? Yeah, that's about what it is. One out of 100, they're angry. And, and they're, you know, and, and a few people don't like it, but they're, they're okay with that. And so, but, but those people, if you don't treat them the right way, they can be vicious to you. And you've got to, you've got to develop that skill set, how to deal with them and how to, and, I've taught myself, don't think logically with these people, think of where they are, think of what, what their issues are and, and try and be comforting to them. And which is hard for us to do because they're trying to bash us. So it, it's, so I have a skill set that I, I sort of talk about in, in lectures sometimes. And, um, and that, that little thing I wasn't good at and, and that made me better. I figured out, and it wasn't easy for me to figure that part out. That was not e an easy thing for me because well, intrinsically. I think, you know, when, when there was so much transparency on social media and I remember sitting next to Tom Siri, you know, who was the CEO of real self, one of our big meetings and somebody talking to him and really giving him a hard time about, you know, patients being able to make these comments about doctors and, you know, and, and not be able to substantiate it. And at the time, you know, I, I looked at him as the enemy, I'll be honest, like, you know, but in reality, it's made us more accountable. And, and I, and I, I, in the beginning, I really um, despised it all, but I, I've learned to embrace it. And, um, and I actually have taught it to my associates and partners too, that, um, you know, if you do a better job managing expectations, you're not going to have these headaches in the back end. And, you know, mm -hmm. maybe it, uh, maybe it's a good thing. I mean, let's face it. It's, it's made industry, a lot of different industry more accountable. Right. And even though, and we're taught in a different way, you know, we did the work, you know, damn it, you should be happy. But the reality is, um, you know, it, it, it is, it does hold us accountable a little bit. And I know you struggled with that and you've actually come out of it stronger you've given some great talks um i <laughs> i remember the one thing about you talking about you know it's kind of like dating right you, that was your your line right they have something we want 
And, um, but the reality is, am I willing to spend my night with this person, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and then they have to deal with the, you know, with the fallout, uh, fallout of that. So tell me about, cause a lot of, you know, people, you had a, this amazing career at the university and then you decided to leave altogether. What was that like? And, and how did you decide? It, it, well, I, I had always had a day a week practice outside with a guy, you know, Dave Keener, who oh, yeah. still practices. In but, yeah, in Roosevelt. Yeah. And, and uh, so I, I decided well, I could expand that a little bit. And we did expand that to two and a half or three days a week. And I'm really busy doing that. But I sort of wanted to do something else. Um, and I, I actually looked around. I looked with the dermatologist in Seattle. I, I asked a few of my friends in Southern California. I just wanted to, you know, I, I just wanted to explore maybe a different city. I'd lived in one city. Um, and so I ultimately um, went to work for a dermatologist in Beverly Hills. That didn't fully work out, but it, it let me, um, you know, find out about Beverly Hills, and which is an interesting place in its own right. It's, it's like you practicing in Albany versus practicing in New York City, you know, right. very different. And, and, but I sort of liked the two parts of, you know, I have now two homes and two practices. Last year, I don't know if you know this, Ed, but I built out a penthouse office uh, in Beverly Hills. Oh, I know about over it. There. Yeah. At the right age of what you are. <laughs> yeah, right, that's right. I'm only, I'm only 37. So, yeah. The, 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 uh, so it was, it was an interesting thing to take on. And, um, and frankly, uh, because that thing was so expensive, I don't actually take any money out of that practice at all. I mean, I'm very pittance of, of, and which is fine with me. I don't, I don't do this for money. So it's, it's, uh, it's, as I say, I, I make money in the stock market and I do, I do plastic surgery for, for my, my craft, my, you know, my, my happiness. So, um, the, the, uh, so so anyway, but but now I, and 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 I'm I'm not really proud of titles very much, but somewhere or another, some big magazine in L.A. called me in after two and a half or three years, one of the ten best plastic surgeons in L.A. Which is there are a lot of plastic surgeons in L.A. Yeah. I don't know how they came up. I don't know how they came up with that. And I don't make much of titles or or, or awards. Or, but it, it was sort of funny to see this. I'm not even trying. I'm not, I don't advertise. And. Uh, but anyway, it, it, it was a, a nice, small recognition. Anyway, I'm still doing the same thing I do every day. Oh, so how did you, you know, I remember one trip we made. So I was trying to think tonight. Um, my daughter, Lydia, our daughter, Lydia, is 20. She was born in 99. So she's 24 years old. My wife was pregnant with Lydia when we went out to Flagstaff. Right. Yeah. Do you I remember, remember that, that Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. And so you came out and you know, were you know doing like uh, you were doing deep plane you were demonstrating right. deep plane back then so you've always been an anatomist um right. I think one thing i've always admired about you know is your curiosity of anatomy and i think that unfortunately some of the younger generation is not really doesn't know their anatomy like you know maybe you or some of the other you know, gray hair folks of ours but how did you get interested so fascinated by anatomy, and do you think it's made you a better surgeon? Well, anatomy in general is what brought me to ENT because I thought the anatomy was the most interesting there because all the all the important structures were running through a small space, 
and there were all these muscles in a small space. And I just, I love that anatomy back when I was in medical school. I've always had a very weird memory. So I, I can remember like, I can remember things in my anatomy textbook in medical school, which was uh, anatomy for me in medical school was uh, 45 years ago. Uh, the, the, I can remember what page they were on the anatomy text. <laughs> so it's a funny kind. So I remembered all these lists of things. And, and by the and way, anyone who really, hasn't, hasn't seen some of your dissections, I'm sure you've got them on new YouTube, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, they're, yeah. They're phenomenal. I, I, yeah. I, as uh, someone who's an anatomist and who spent my life doing surgery, uh, just you know, looking off of the time you put into those, uh, prosections and uh, a facial anatomy. So anyone who wants to underst really understand this mass uh, needs to look at, you know, watch some of your YouTube videos. Thanks. Um, so, you know, but, but really the thing that changed the, the thing for me was all these injectors because the, you know, facial plastic surgeons think they know the anatomy, so they're not really interested in taking an anatomy course that much, right? And they want to do operations. They don't really want to learn the anatomy, plastic surgeons. But the injectors, a lot of them don't know anything. And so there was this niche of, so in the last, you know, three years, I do a minimum of one cadaveric dissection per month, sometimes more, sometimes twice a month, where I dissect it, get the cadaver already. And frankly, every time I do one, there's a new variation and I learn a little something. It's just, it, all add, it all adds into your bank a little bit. And we're, one of the things that's fascinating about what we do, we're still learning. I mean, people that do you know, investment banking, they're not learning. They're, they're just trying to you know, add to the pot. Worst, what, what's, what's great, I have fellows that call me up and say, you know, I had this interesting case and I had this variant and, you know, is, was this right? What, you know, we're, we're still curious about what we're doing. And that's what's really wonderful about what we do and the art of what we do. It's different. It's, it's all, it's, and one of the reasons rhinoplasty is such a great operation is it's all different. Every one of them are different. And if you, I say this to my fellows all the time. Um, master your routine. Have things down that you do all the time correctly, but don't let routine be your master. Don't don't think we're going to do this all the same way because all the people are different. The, there are all these in, there are infinite variations of that. Get a routine down, like the way you protect the eyes, the way you band the hair, the way you the way you have the local ready. That's, that, a, that's great advice. I mean, I say it in a different way, but yeah. that's a Good, good advice. Right, right. So master your routine, but don't let routine be master. Which I don't think is mine, but somebody else said it. Maybe I heard it. I, like most things in life, it's plagiarism, but it, it really is poignant to me. So, what are the what are the biggest you know the biggest things that you struggle with, the challenges, the thing that the things that are on your mind, the things you're preoccupied with these days? Mm -hmm. Well, the it, it's sort of an interesting thing. I, I'm. I have two practices and I'm really busy in Sacramento because I've got a lot of long-term name recognition and in, in, uh, um, in Beverly Hills, I'm not as busy. And I, I'd like to be a little busier because for me, you sort of know me, Ed, I need to be busy. I just, Oh, you have, you have, 
more than ADHD, like a uh, severe dose. Right. right. I mean, I, I don't like, it, you know, I don't like to go to work and do, you know, one facelift and eyelids and brow lift. I'm done at 10 in the morning and it's right. like, what do I do the rest of the day? And I have yeah. some days like that in Beverly Hills. So I need two or three of them to make me, to, to make me, you know, um, really on my game. You know? so, average now, because I mean, you you started Sacramento. You were again. You were with UC Davis, right? right. You leave. So I, yeah. I fly on Saturday or Sunday from LA to Sacramento, and I practice there Monday and Tuesday, and half or all the day Wednesday and Wednesday afternoon or evening. I fly to LA and I operate Thursday morning. Sometimes Friday morning, I see patients. Occasionally, I'll do something on Saturdays. So um, even at this advanced. Uh, age thing so but so that's the question you know yeah and and i think that i'm i'm a couple years younger than you are you know i'm 63 i'm going to be turned 64 and i i feel like i honestly feel like johnny i'm at the top of my game I, yeah I just, sure surgically surgically i really do yeah. i mean my my our, you know our junior guys are like i can't believe what you get done in a day at the or like i yeah, mean i sure that chest pain but you know, and I'm not the kind of guy to want, you know, I've got a lot of outside interests. I'm not the kind of guy that wants to go play golf, you know, like you said, right. play golf or whatever. I like feeling productive. But why would someone at, you know, at your age, open a new office in Beverly Hills and take that all on? I mean, I'm sure you it like, was a little... I'm sure you. Yeah, I thought about it a bunch. bunch. There's a lot of people, you know, your age would be like, you know, I, I just, I had it. I had a, I, I mean, I can tell you names, you and I both, and I'm not going to say their name, names, but people are like, they're 60 years old. I'm done with facelifts. I'm not, if I get one more hematoma, yeah. you know, what is it that yeah. motivates you? What if it uh, motivates you to open up an office, take all this risk, buy a new house and, and, you know, deal with the, 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 you know, the razzle dazzle of, you know, world renowned Beverly Hills guy who's been out for two years. When, when right. Dr. Well, was act, anatomist who's been doing faceless for 40 some odd years. Why do you want to take that on? Yeah, I, I'm not, I can't, I don't have a great, that's a more eternal question for me. So I don't know that exactly, but some of it must be that the, you know, the challenge of the new thing, you know, cause I was getting a little bored doing what I was doing, but, but the other thing is work does not stress me that much. I practice with a guy who's a very good surgeon. He does body. We're, we don't. Pre we just share the cost of the off office. We shared the, um, and he, but he has his practice, and I have my practice within this one place. And f frankly, I, I like him very much as a person, but he doesn't look that happy. And it, it looks like if somebody would give him the right amount of money tomorrow, he'd say, "I'm done." I'm out. That the I'm out, and that that was not me. And everybody's got to decide for themselves. You know, some people, I, I see some people that are facial plastic surgeons that surgery stresses them. And you have to decide for yourself where you want to be and if it stresses you. The way I am is not the way most people ought to be or the way everybody ought to be. It's, it's you know, it, it's everybody has to decide for themselves what their stress level is, what their anxiety level is, what their surgery to, I'm, I'm very calm when I'm in the operating room. It's, it's, uh, it actually calms me down. It gets me focused. It gets me um, thinking about one thing. I don't, my phone's, it may be ringing, but I don't pay much attention to it when I'm in the operating room. 
Um, yeah, it's it, it, it it's a it's a safe and I'm not saying quiet place for me. I play music, but but, but it's a it's a calm place for me. So it's it's uh, it doesn't you know some people are really frazzled. They they when stuff gets tough in the operating room, I just concentrate more, and I'm really focused in the operating room. I feel so, the same. I mean, I yeah, like I said I it takes a lot to rattle me. You know, a lot. Right. Uh, and you know some of that comes with experience. There isn't an right. right. So, right. next chapter. You said you signed a twelve-year lease. What do you see? Yeah, it's down to eleven now. And you're <laughs> well. It's, it's conceivable that I would sell my practice at some time and work for that person. I want to yeah. still do surgery. I'm not near stopping doing surgery, but I wouldn't mind getting rid of the day-to-day kind of Headaches. dealing with social media. Oh, dealing with staff, yeah. dealing with you've always been good with that because you've created a strata below you that deals with that. And I don't have a big enough infrastructure in Beverly Hills to have that happen to me. And that has been a little bit of headaches for me. The yeah. patients aren't the, the, the surgery's not the um, but but the the dealing with the stuff has been a little headachey for me. So. I mean, you know, share share with me your thoughts. And I, I, I you know, I always jokingly say that um, our generation, you know, I did vascular birthmarks, you did cleft lip and cranial facial. Um, you know, <clears throat> I spoke at the meetings. I did the leadership stuff that we did because it was the right thing to do. I, I felt it was a calling. Um, you know, I... I I really, it kind of turns my stomach a little bit, you know, people with nowhere near the talent experience training, and now they're the world-renowned Beverly Hills facial plastic surgeon, uh, you know, tink, whether it's TikTok or whatever. I mean, it I, I really makes me feel dirty. I, I mean, what are your thoughts? I, you well, know, what I mean, well, let me about another post. Is, is getting on a podium to have another post. It's like, and it really turns mm-hmm. my stomach. There's a part of it, I kind of like out of facial, out of uh, social media for periods of time. Like I just have it last year. I just, it makes me feel dirty. I mean, how do you feel? Yeah, well, uh, sort of the same, but so I'll, I'll tell you my, I think for us right now, this is, it's a funny thing. It's sort of like a, a live by the sword, die by the sword stuff, social media. In some ways it's made all of us busier and it's made a lot of people be able to jack their prices way up. And I don't mean up, but way up, way and up, it, way up. And the, the, um, and, and some people are really good at it. I'm not particularly. And I, and I, I've actually never physically posted one thing on social media. I've had two or three social media managers since I opened my, my Instagram thing and they post so that, requires me to send them photographs, which I do infrequently and sporadically. But but you asked about another thing, about the person that just comes out and says, you know, I mean, we all have a, um, we all have an inner moral compass of how we want ourselves to be presented. And I think the people that present themselves and do this puffery, like I'm the best in this, I'm the, you know, the person that's 31 and says, I've been thinking about facial plastic surgery my whole life. Bullshit. You know, you, 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 you got into medical school. That was good. And then you, you know, you got into a residency, you struggled to get into that. And then, 
you you know you took a couple of years to match for a fellowship and you know the and now you haven't been thinking about it your whole life you've been thinking about doing those things and now you've got to master your craft so don't don't use puffery and say things like i'm the best in town i'm the best in this place but some people want to do that and they can live at night doing that i personally can't i i i actually feel a little funny when i I told you on this podcast that, but when I actually put it on social media, I sent it to my person and I say, I feel a little funny of this because I don't know how they decide on these things. You know, the, the reality of is what I get um, stoked about each night is when I have happy patients. That's, uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying I don't want to have a good income that month, but my income's fine. I don't, get stoked about, you know, I did three times as much this month. I, it's, uh, I want to do good. <laughs> you know, I want to do the thing right. And, and, uh, the, the, so, so for me, back to the person and how we cast ourselves on social media, listen, if the public's smart, they'd realize the people that are, they're really good at it are people in general that are new at it. And they're, 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 you know, but the public doesn't always see that, and they and and they, um, you know, I, I saw somebody today that wanted her nose redone. She went to Turkey. I said, "What made you do that?" You know, and yeah. not that there aren't surgeries. There are great surgeons in Turkey, but what made you come from Sacramento and go to Turkey for your rhinoplasty? You know, or there is there nobody between people? People always want to see me at a meeting and say, "Look how good I am." I I live in San Francisco. And this person came from Dallas for me. And you're not that good because there are a lot of other good surgeons in between, and there are probably some better surgeons in between. Let's let's be honest about that. So really what happened is you marketed better than them. And th that's good. There's nothing wrong with marketing well. It's part of what we do today. But but know that for what it is. And you know, I, I would say keep doing good work. My advice to people, to young people particularly, um, is uh, keep doing good work, be honest, be honest, um, be kind, <laughs> um, and care about your patients. That's why we got into this. Don't say to your, about your patient, well, they had funny expectations, you know, they had, don't, you know, you operate on them, you took their money, <laughs> you know, they realize you've got to deal with them now. And so when it comes to social media, be honest, don't overhype yourself. Because that's the live by the sword, die by the sword. We overhype ourselves. Think, one of the questions I was going to ask is, you know, what do you give the young surgeon? Because it's kind of like, you know, social media has made it very difficult on teenage girls. Um, you know, the whole, you know, there's enough data to show how they feel more inferior about themselves. And I see that too with some of our young, you know, facial plastic surgeons, plastic surgeons who just feel like, you know, I'm not doing a good enough job on social media. And if I just did my better marketing, and I, I don't think it's, I think there's more anxiety and they're not, you know, they didn't go into this for, or maybe they did, but, you know, what advice would you give them? Because I, I mean, to me, it's just be a good doctor. Yeah, I, I would say that. I mean, be a good doctor, realize why you went into medicine. Back when you were doing your interviews and you said, why do you want to do this? It wasn't so that I can market more and, you know, and figure out how I can upcharge some patient. It was 
that you like caring for people. And yeah. as a general rule, plastic surgeons are givers, and we shouldn't turn ourselves into takers. You know, we're givers. We, we, and that's, and, and frankly, that's why when somebody doesn't like what we do, it's so hard on us. I like very hard on us. Because we're, because we're, we're, we're givers and we think we're giving and, and they didn't like what we did, which is why it's so hard when they, they don't like, especially if the result isn't bad. You know, we're, we, we can't deal with that. And that's what was tough for me in 2005, which I, I figured out for myself. And I realized it's not me, it's them. And I just have to listen to them and I have to be kind to them. And I, you know, and it, that made me better when, I, when that light bulb went off for me um, the, of how to deal with these unhappy people. Because there's yeah. a, I don't care how good you are. You know, people think, well, you've got, Sykes has all these unhappy people. No, I just talk about them. And and I just acknowledge them. No, I, I, I we, all, we all have them. We all I like have them. Mobile myself, but uh, what that? What you, you I know, like Sykes Mobile. I'm going to get one of those. <laughs> we don't need to talk that was. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> I have to re-put re re-put that in my uh, my talks. Uh, I haven't had that before. Either that, or you just pick up a move every seven years. Um, right. Exactly. What you know? What do you like to do outside? I mean, I know you 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 travel like more than anyone I know, um, and you love to travel. Uh, Talk about your vineyard. I new found new found yeah, wine. I yeah. tried. To yeah, well, check it out. It I haven't talked to you about that lately, Ed. So we we finally figured out we were making really good wine. We got some big notoriety. We got the best rated Grenache in the Napa Valley, and we we got. But I finally figured out, it takes a while to figure out the business things. It, making 13 or 1,400 cases a year, we were never going to make any money, which meant I was never going to get paid back. So now we've upped our productivity. We make almost, this year we'll make almost 5,000 cases of wine. Serious? And uh, yeah, it's, it's, we, we just had to expand. So I had to put more money into it or else I was just going to disband the winery because it was like, sucking and now i think we're we're even for a little bit and we're about to do well. i mean we're doing really well we just sold ed um a thousand cases of wine to jet blue first class in their That's mint they're they did the, next year they're buying a thousand cases of newfound wine which is cool you know that's way cool it's, uh, I, yeah, I did get on yeah. a couple of weeks ago just because i want to say is johnny still on this i wasn't i wasn't sure yeah. Yeah. You know what they say? Unfortunately, unfortunately, I still own it. Unfortunately, I still you know, own they, it. Well, you know, they say wineries are like, you know, horses. You know, how do you make a million bucks with horses? Or how do you make a million bucks, million bucks in a winery, right? right. You know start how? with two or three. Start with two. <laughs> start with two. <laughs> maybe. Start with two or maybe, in my case, start with three. So it's the, uh, <laughs> well, it's, I started with, with three and I don't have any back yet. But it's, yeah. so the, it's, you it's know, okay. So what, what, do you, what do you see? You know what? What? What's your next? What do you see the next ten years looking like? What's your next next chapter? I'd like to settle down my life to to have these two practices be, and I, I'd actually like to take on a partner. And uh, you know, Dave's sort of close to retiring, and I've gotten busier, and so I'd like to take somebody on that I really trust, and and that that can I could hand this to, or you know, work with, and maybe. Someday a week. Someday I'll work only five days a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some, well, some year I'll work. 
<laughs> well, between you, you, you travel so much that, you know, even yeah. five days is a full week, right? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the, yeah. I'm, I'm happy when I have a weekend off. That's a happy time for me. But yeah. I mean, most weekends now I'm teaching something. I'm teaching the, you know, doing a cadaver thing or, you know, it's uh, and, and that for me is, you know, in some ways that takes more concentration than doing a facelift because I've got to make it look better. Sure. <laughs> it's a sure, sort of exactly. weird. Sort of weird. Uh, so, but, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to get together. Yeah. First of all, I, just, I haven't Thanks. had a chance to catch up with you in a while, Johnny. I, I saw you at the last meeting and you and I didn't get a chance to talk much. I think part of it was COVID. Right. It was just everything that's right. going on. Right. But um, I really appreciate you, you know, getting in it. And just always nice to catch up with you. Um, you know, thanks for sharing, you know, what you shared. Yeah, thanks. A lot of young people that are trying to find, you know, a lot of people know who you are. They've never, never had a chance to really have a conversation. I think it's what's, what's so cool about these podcasts because I bring in some different people that uh, uh, last week I, I interviewed Patrick Byrne, who's had an amazing career. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's great for the young people because we've all had our struggles, right? You've had your share. Sure. Sure. What well, I will say this to, yeah. to, to, yeah. To young people out there, um, be a part of our academy because um, the the thing I missed when COVID was happened wasn't the knowledge from meetings. It was catching up with somebody like Ed. And, and Ed and I are sort of special friends. We re really respect each other like immensely. I respect him immensely. And uh, the the as a doctor, but also as a as a person and as a, as a family man, and uh, something I haven't been able to do quite as well. But, uh, I, but getting to talk to him and hear his wisdom, because it may be just a little thing that I hear from, I missed. And last week, I, or it ended, I came back Sunday, I spent the week with Vito, and I hadn't seen him in a long time. He's and a good, Vito, was he, he's a great guy, and you know, hearing him, and I saw his daughter, who was a little, you know, I, I went to Vito's wedding 38 years ago, and then he said, you know, we're going to have our first kid. This was when he was in practice, and now she's in going into the specialty, and right. you know, seeing those kind of things, it's like seeing the patient from 20 years ago. It's a special relationship. You and I have a special relationship. I'm happy about, proud of, and it's I covet, really. But the that's why to go to meetings, to develop these bonds with people in our specialty, because we have a lot of special people that do what we do. We have a lot of special people. Well, think about and, this. Uh, I, I, I completely, I mean, listen, you're preaching to the choir, and I say this to my fellows. I mean, where, I mean, look at the international people that you know. Look at the relationships you have all over the world, and we have a common bond. You know, people ask me, you know, why did you get involved with the academy way back when? I mean, there are there are brothers and sisters, right? I mean, and um, where where else will you have a group of people that you can have something so in common with the same thing and talk about it? I mean, even in industry, you, you know, you don't see that kind of thing. So it is it is something very special that we have, but. Um, so I appreciate the kind words. And as you know, I have my deepest respect for you and all you've accomplished. And I've always, uh, in my next life, I'm going to travel like you do and uh, get to know. But you had, you've well, had, you've had, you've had your family. So that's, that's yeah, no, that's been, yeah, that's been my thing. So yeah. anyway, buddy. So are you going to go, are you going to go? All right. 
What's that? I'm sorry. To see you in April at uh, absolutely yeah. San Diego. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right. Thanks. All right. Boss. All right. Thanks.